So thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Bakari Sellers Podcast. Thank you so much. We are over 20 episodes in. Shout out to Kaya, who's the best producer in the podcast game. And my good friend, Jerry Loto, who's the EP of this show. I want to thank you guys for downloading, subscribing, sharing. I mean, our last episode was so dope with the HBCU med school college presidents, um, both uh, Dr. Frederick and Dr. Carlisle from Charles Drew University and Howard University, respectively. Today's interview will be amazing. If you want to understand the how to activate the black voter, um, Latasha Brown is the person to really dig deep on that. But before I get into our interview with Latasha, I wanted to talk about Kyle Wittenhouse for a few minutes. You remember Kyle Wittenhouse. He's back in the news because y'all president's son said something stupid recently. We're waiting for due process. We're not jumping to a conclusion. If I put myself in Kyle Rittenhouse, maybe I shouldn't have been there. He's a young kid. I don't, I don't want 17-year-olds running around the street with AR-15s. Maybe I wouldn't have put myself in that situation. Who knows? But we all do stupid things at 17. But again, I think we have to... A little bit beyond stupid. Really stupid. Fine. But, but we all have to let that process play out and let due process take its course. Now, you all know that Kyle Wittenhouse was the 17-year-old Trump supporter who crossed state lines with an assault rifle to incite violence and ended up murdering two protesters in Kenosha and wounding another. He's since been charged, and I ultimately think he'll be convicted. But what still remains stuck in my mind, and I'm sure in the mind of so many black folk, is how Kyle Rittenhouse was treated by police and how he's described by people like Donald Trump Jr., If you watch the video of Wittenhouse during the Kenosha uprisings, you see a white kid with an AR-15 off his shoulder calmly walking past law enforcement after murdering somebody. Meanwhile, a 12-year-old child in Tamir Rice has a toy gun, and without provocation of any kind, police pull up to him and murder him. Kyle Wittenhouse was arrested safely without incident, much like Dylan Roof was. But the Kenosha police couldn't possibly have managed to do the same thing with Jacob Blake. He apparently required seven bullets in the back. The list goes on and on of how even when you murder someone, the police treat you with more respect if you're white than a black guy who didn't do anything to anyone. And yet the murderer is, quote, a stupid kid, according to Don Jr. And black parents still have to bury their sons and daughters because a police officer didn't extend them the same benefit of their humanity. All of these indictments add up in the collective memories of black folks. So when you hear your attorney general saying things like he doesn't believe systemic racism exists in the criminal justice system, it's a slap in the face to the lived experience of every black person in this country. This is yet another reminder to everyone listening that it's our time to end the national nightmare of having to hear from Donald Trump Jr. and having his father run this country (laughs) or ruin this country. Make your plan to vote now. Early vote in person if you can and send the Trumps, including Junior, back home. And now on to our show with my good friend, Latasha Brown. This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9. With available all-wheel drive that sets the pace and seating for up to seven adults. With zero to 60 speed that throws you one moment and available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. 
This episode is brought to you by Lincoln in the all new 2024 Nautilus Hybrid, featuring a customizable 48 inch panoramic display, available Revel audio system, and available perfect position front seats with active motion massage. Oh my God. The world isn't wide enough. Visit lincoln.com to learn more. Some models, trims, and features may not be available or may be subject to change. Check with your local retailer for current information. Lincoln and Nautilus are trademarks of Ford or its affiliates. Well, thank you so much. I have one of my good friends on the show today, Latasha Brown. And this is just the most amazing thing and most amazing time to have you on the Bakari Sellers podcast. We we like to say that we do a, a decent job of educating and, and introducing our listeners to new individuals. But thank you so much, Vish, for taking some time out to join us today, Latasha. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Always good to be with you. Definitely. So what are you working on right now? I know that uh, we will we will get into... Yeah, I know. Because I, I, you're working on absolutely everything right now. But just talk to me about some of the projects that you're working on, because I know, and we're going to get heavy into what we're doing with Black Voters Matter. And we know that you and Cliff founded Black Voters Matter. But I just want to talk about some of the things that you're doing as we ramp up uh, with 50 some odd days left into this uh, election season. It's oh, ending. so we Thank got, it's, and we're doing everything. You know, it's real interesting because we're in this moment because we're in COVID-19. You know, we are, we've had to organize and learn how to be really creative and how we're organizing and connecting with folks. And so what we've done is we've started a campaign called We Got Power. There and you we, go. Yep. And with our We Got Power campaign, we want to center the conversation like this isn't about, you know, we want folks to even know that this is really bigger than Biden. This is really about power and our communities having power and protecting itself and reducing the harm and also, you know, um, getting this crazy man out of office. But also there's some things that need to change for black folks. And so there are a couple of things that we've been doing. One, we've started with our We Got Power. We've been doing caravans. So we are doing caravans throughout 11 states that we've started. We're going to be doing it every week for the next uh, up until election. Can I join okay. one of them caravans? You know, I'm down to get on your buses. You know, y'all had me on the bus. They, I, I want you to know <laughs> Cliff and them have it and Latasha had me on the bus. We were marching with uh, McDonald's workers for fair wages down in Charleston, <laughs> South Carolina. That's so right. I, I want to get on the caravan. Let me hey, know. Are, come on, get back on the caravan. Come on, get back on the bus. Matter of fact, we're coming through. South Carolina, but we're going through all of the states. And it's interesting, one of the things that we've been doing is we've been trying to also integrate technology. So we've got QR codes on all of the cars. We've got these magnets on the cars so people can just take a picture or put their phone up and bam, they can get their voter registration. Um, right, It will load right up on their phone. Wow. Or they can check and see their registration. It'll take them to our site where they got three options where they can check their registration status. They can get a registration form right there. And then they can find information about uh, the absentee ballot. So we're trying to use some this technology. This is so dope. Yeah, that's dope things. right there. Yeah. Hey, so tell people this because, you know, the funny thing is I was in a, in a group and um, somebody put up a Facebook post saying that, that your bus was riding through town. And I don't know if you saw mm-hmm. it, but they said that they the rioters are here. The paid rioters are here. And they identified your bus. And my heart dropped because I was like, I don't want anything to happen to my people because we love you. And Angela was, you know, Angela Ross, she gets so upset sometimes we had to back her off. But before you got into Black Voters Matter, what what were you doing? Tell people where you the work you were doing prior to this God's work that you're doing right now. You know, I have been doing organizing work for the last 25 years. I was doing a lot of work in philanthropy. 
I ran this organization called Grant Makers for Southern Progress. And what we did, hmm. um, I was working with national and local regional funders to try to move more money in the South. And it's interesting because what I wanted to do, what I wanted to get these funders to do is to set up this fund to move millions in the South. Well, yeah, evidently we just like set up our own fund and now we're moving. Um, <laughs> in the South. So I guess that's how you do it. But I also come out of an activist, um, an activist background. So I'm from Selma, Alabama. I did a lot of organizing work. I've worked on over 50 campaigns, everything from presidential down to the constable. I've run for public office. I have, you know, what I say, if the, the, the short version of what I say my life has been, I organize people, I organize money, I organize ideas. That's what I do. I organize. My whole life mission has been how can I connect resources to people so that we can really advance our community and how can we fight for justice in our community. So a lot of the work that Cliff and I have been doing for 25 years and various roles, and it's funny because we didn't have a Black Voters Matter. You know, we had our jobs to pay, to take care of our bills and take care of our families. And we were doing all of our social justice work outside of that because we didn't, you know, who was paying for Black liberation? And so part of the reason why we started Black Voters Matter is precisely for that reason. We were thinking about all of those years, the work that we were doing, we would have to either pay out our pocket, be creative or go without. And we were thinking, what if we created an organization to do what we needed? What if we created an organization that could actually put money directly in the organization on the ground that are doing work? And that's why we started Black Voters Matter. So tell, tell people, what is the Black Voters Matter Fund? I know it. I love it. And I want, you know, I, I love the fact you're in South Carolina making the ground cultivated for when I run for office again. But what, right. do, what is the Black Voters Matter Fund and what does the fund do that traditional campaigns do not? So we actually, I want people to think about, we're a little bit different in the sense that we're not trying to do Black Voters Matter chapters all over the country. Like we don't want an empire build. Our goal, I want people to think of us like special ops, that you people, (laughs) they have work, they're already on on the ground, you got the soldiers already on the ground and you just need some reinforcement. And so what that means for us is our entire model is building the capacity of Black led grassroots groups from the ground up. In 2018, we distributed over a million dollars. We invested directly into 180 Black-led groups on the ground. So we give resources. You know, everything that you think of the party structure would would do when there's a candidate running, we do that, but not necessarily for a candidate or the party. We do it for Black folks. Black people are trying to build power. So if there are folks that are building campaigns and they need resources from GOTV, they need access to the voter list, they need access to technology from text messaging campaigns to phone banking, they need signs to put in their yards. They need T-shirts so they can uh, be uniformed. They need strategy. That's who we are. The, the goal is if there was an organization that could actually support you and you trying to build power for your local community and you needed some tools, some resources, we want to be that kind of organization. And so even this year alone, we'll be, um, we will have distributed resources and invested directly in probably over 300 Black-led grassroots groups in 11 states. Our belief is if you strengthen and build the capacity of organizations that are already in those communities, you know, Carver, the organizations that when some go down, people going to call them, mm-hmm. right? And it doesn't necessarily have to be around voting, but if they are working to build power. So we've supported campaigns in Tennessee. We've supported the, the campaign to get a community oversight board for the police. We uh-huh. were their largest funder. And I think our, we contributed maybe, I think 30,000, something like that, 
but they were working against the FOP that had millions of dollars. Yep. But guess who won? They won because it wasn't just the 30,000. It was, they had organizing community. All we did was support what they were doing already, which they had done the organizing work. And so in other places, sometimes they want to work specifically in a campaign and get some people out of office or put some other folks in office. Some folks, they just want to educate or organize around getting the vote out. So for us, if you are a Black-led grassroots group in one of our 11 states and you are doing work to build power and you want to be a part of a network that is really rooted in Black liberation, y'all need to call us. <laughs> Let me ask you this, because most people think that uh, November 3rd, the work is actually over, but organizations like yours begin on November 4th, the day after the election with the infrastructure building. Talk about the infrastructure building, the off-cycle infrastructure building work you all do in communities. And a lot of times these communities in some of these Southern states they just simply lack traditional party infrastructure. Talk about some of that work that you all go in and do when people think the game is actually over, but it's just starting. Yeah, you know, our phrase is 365, literally, that we do work 365 days out of the year. Part of what I think, Bakari, has been an issue of why we're seeing limited impact in our community around voting is because people have treated us just like we're a number. It's like mm-hmm. I always say it's to round the Negroes up. Like it's three weeks out before the election, drop a couple of dollars, just round the Negroes up. And that's you you got to you got to have a fish fry and you go to their church and maybe yeah. you, you usually go to their high school football game. Right. And then- high school football game. We know the drill. We know the drill. <laughs> right? And that's not really leading any power. So what is it going to take? Number one is going to take a pipeline of leadership. So we want young, progressive leaders who are doing this work, who are interested in building power. We're supporting them. So a lot of the organizations that we're working with are organizations that people, some of them are brand new. Some of them are led by folks who are just rooted in community and want to make a change. And so we provide resources for them, not just in terms of the work that they're doing, but in terms of their leadership, being able to provide training, being able to connect them with other organizations so that they can get training. So there's one element that is a leadership pipeline. How do we build a leadership pipeline? The second element is, you know, what's really interesting, Fari, is we have gone in these places where there are groups and the groups know each other, but they've never worked as a coordinated campaign. When you think about politics, when you think about traditional politics, there's always a coordinated campaign between those places, right? But on a grassroots level, who's coordinating us? Yep. So one of the things that we do is we actually, bring, uh, in many of those communities we go in, we're actually bringing those groups together to help them think about coordination. Like, this is what you do well. This is what we don't tell them. We're just actually there as a support to help them like figure this plan out so that we're operating with a strategy. And so after that, when we're talking about like right after um, the election, I'll take Alabama and Doug Jones, um, the Doug Jones war race in 2017, which it was the overperformance of black folks that led the flipping of that seat. Particularly black women. Black women in particular. Thank you. What we did, what was interesting, there was 25 organizations who had been doing work on the ground we organized them before the election was over to have, we had a letter which a list of demands that was to be an op-ed published in the paper the day after the election. We were real clear. We were like, yes, we're going to move some votes and we win, that's fine. But the, the real work is how we're going to hold you accountable. So that's yeah. another piece too. So then you're actually helping people think about what is an accountability plan after that. And so everything from the leadership development to actually the establishment of some of the organizations. You do not have to be a, a C3 to work with us. But uh, what we do ask the groups that we're working with, how do you see your capacity? What do you want your capacity to be? 
So there's some organization, people have been working together say, I really want to establish a C3. We help them establish a C3, we pay for it, we get them like some training and support around that. Some organizations have been doing the work, you know, just like just guerrilla style and, and are not familiar with other tools. They're not familiar with how do you use the technology from setting up the text messaging campaigns to the phone banking and the scripts and all of that. And so what we do is we actually help them with that. The bottom line is the way that we do our work is we're building power by building and investing in black folk and what it is that they envision to see in their community. And sometimes we're actually pushing the question, what is your vision for your community? We know what you want the politicians to say and to do and what is it that you want? Because I do think that part of the problem, um, Bakari, is everybody got some advice for us. Everybody got some advice to tell Black folks what to do, right? The problem is who listens to us? People know what they want. If you go into somebody's household and they're struggling, if you just take the time to listen, you can figure it out. And so a lot of our work really is going into communities, listening, trying to figure out what it is that they want, and then we support that. Not an agenda that we have. A good example of that, happened about a year or two ago in Pensacola. Matter of fact, in two years ago in Pensacola, we had gone to Pensacola, Florida, and it was a governor's race and it was an amendment. And so that was, everybody was working on that in, in Florida. And we're in this room, packed room, Cliff and I are in this packed room and people, we would talk about the election. Every once in a while, somebody would get up and it was like, yeah, but just like they did the school board race. And then they would keep talking. And then it came up about two or three times and we stopped the meeting. We're like, hold up. We know we're talking about the governor's race, but what is it about the school board race? Mm-hmm. What had happened in that community is that a, they had signed a consent decree, which they shouldn't have signed back in the 70s, that's saying that they would have one seat for a minority. But Rick Scott interpreted the minority where when that when that the black person actually rolled off from the seat or retired from that seat, he appointed a minority, what he said was a minority, a white woman Republican. And they had no representation, black folks had no representation and they were living around it, but they were literally letting it go. And so we were talking to them. It was like, well, if that's the, if y'all interested in that, why don't y'all go after that seat? Uh-huh. Like, well, yeah, but people don't support local seats. We do. And so essentially we shifted the whole thing. We supported them after going in that local seat. What wound up happening, they had the highest turnout for the governor's election because they actually centered their race on something that they cared about. Yep. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC Slim Fit Trouser. But I am a joggers guy. I just... Once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. This episode is brought to you by Lincoln and the all new 2024 Nautilus Hybrid featuring a customizable 48-inch panoramic display, available Revel audio system, and available perfect position front seats with active motion massage. Oh my God. The world isn't wide enough. Visit lincoln.com to learn more. Some models, trims, and features may not be available or may be subject to change. 
Check with your local retailer for current information. Lincoln and Nautilus are trademarks of Ford or its affiliates. This episode is brought to you by NetSuite by Oracle. As your business grows, you might start seeing some lag. There's too much work for your team, too many different processes, and it takes forever to close the books. If this sounds like you, you should know these three numbers, 37,000, 25, and one. 37,000 is the number of businesses that have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. It's a cloud financial system that can help streamline accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 25, that's how many years NetSuite has been helping businesses do more with less. And one, because your one-of-a-kind business deserves a customized solution for your KPIs. It's like when you come here for this podcast or when you check out your favorite website to gather all the info you need to make better decisions for your fantasy leagues. Well, NetSuite does that for your business and then some. It's one efficient system, one source of truth with everything you need to grow. Right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com slash ringer. That is netsuite.com slash ringer. So let's ask this. I want you to put on your pundit hat just for a minute because I know that you are a nonpartisan organization, but given the fact that the vast majority of African-Americans do vote Democratic, I think it's worth getting your take specifically on where Democrats get most black voters wrong. What do most Democratic campaigns, particularly the statewide races, misunderstand about how to appeal to black voters? They think that we're interested in participation and not power. That ultimately their biggest mistake is they talk to us as if like it's a really just about we're trying to participate. No, we want power. Right. I think that that's one thing. I think the second thing is that this message, this one size fits all message. What are you talking right? about? Rising tides don't lift all boats. <laughs> pull yourself, you should pull yourself up by your bootstraps or whatever they call it. Boot, right. boot, yeah. just, just make sure that I got the better boots. And, right? You know, it, it worked. But if you don't have no boots at all, what the hell are you going to do? What the hell are you going to do? So, <laughs> right. So I think uh, I think there's some critical mistakes. I think that that's one. I think another mistake around this, too, is. And we're just going to have to be honest about this. We're going to have to be honest about even the Democratic Party has been afraid of leadership that looks different from the traditional leadership. Right. Amen. And so and ultimately what winds up happening, it blocks those folks out. Even the National Democratic Party, as you know, that even when it came out to consulting groups, there were blackballing consulting groups that would work with candidates that didn't work with the incumbent. At the end of the day, if you want to be an incumbent, serve the folks. That's how you're an incumbent. But when you're blocking out new leadership and new generation of leadership, that doesn't fundamentally expand democracy. Matter of fact, what we have seen is that in some districts, you haven't seen a growth of the electorate and where there are incumbents that have been standing there for a long time. And part of the reason is because I think that they themselves are afraid of expanding the base to get new voters because they got to be accountable to the shifting demographics. Right. So I think a big mistake that the party makes is that it puts its power over the people, all of the parties. Like I'm very critical of this whole notion of the constitution doesn't say we the party. It says we the people. But fundamentally, we've created a political process that is about aggregating power to the political parties, not necessarily people. Mm-hmm. People are used almost like a proxy for the party, right? And so I think there's fundamentally an issue around the way that the party even sees people within the party. I think a third mistake that um, the Democratic Party makes, and it's interesting because anybody that takes policy I 101, the first thing they teach you is all politics are local. All politics are local. All politics are local, right? But you get you see all of this, and sometimes the only investment, 
I mean, South Carolina is a prime example. You know, what I've witnessed, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but what I have witnessed is every four years, because South Carolina is this key state because of where it's situated in the primary, you get all this time, this attention and resources. And soon as that's over, yep. those four years, you don't see any investment. Oh, I mean, I ran in, I ran in, a, in a midterm statewide race. I, I Trust me, I know. So, you know, the problem with that is, how can you build infrastructure? It has to be ongoing. It can't just be you show up every four years. That's like that person, that friend you got, the only time they call you is when they want something. Mm-hmm. At some point, you're looking at your phone like, Lord, it's you again. I mean, that's how that's how Black people feel. At the end of the day, you know, if you're only going to invest in what you think is important for you and not necessarily what people find important, that's what they're going to deal with you. That's how they're going to deal with you. And I think that's why our model has been distinctively different that we're not going in and telling people y'all got to care about this race. We literally say, what is it that you care about? And we invest in that and grow and build the infrastructure out of that. So I think that that's the, this lack of investment, this lack of having a conversation that centers around how black people want power in our communities. And it's not, it's beyond participation and this approach to really be able to block out new ideas and new people. I think those are the biggest challenges for the democratic party. So look, I talked with Michael Harriet about this and he, <laughs> He's hilarious. Michael is brilliant. He but let's is talk as can be. But let's talk about the various types of black voters because there's a lot of interracial diversity within the black electorate that campaign strategies that they don't always account for. For example, white Democrats and white folk think that we all go to church, but we don't, especially younger voters. I do. My mama listens to the show every week, so just trust me, <laughs> I do. I'm a, I'm a Episcopalian, but everybody don't, especially younger voters. CBC endorsements, they don't matter to us. They don't move black voters, not no more. But people seem to think they do. So if you could segment the black electorate, what would be your segments? So I think, you know, it's interesting because I think that we've always been, um, I think we're diverse in a variety of ways. I think there's a through line. I think it's a matter of if you're able to tap into the through line, because I do think, you know, there's this idea, too, that I hate where they would say folks would say, well, then younger voters and black voters, if you really look at the bottom line is on some element older voters and black vote and younger black voters are not really different. When we talk about some racism, we all clear. Oh, very, very clear. We're all very clear about that. And so there's some through lines. I do think that there's a segment of younger voters that vote very differently in the context of they don't have the same attachment to party politics. They don't care anything about the party structure. They're not loyal to a party. They don't see themselves as that. They don't come out of that. Even my generation start breaking away from that, which is Generation X. But fundamentally, I think there's younger voters. I think that there's a, um, I, I, I hate to even, it's hard for me to categorize because I hate this whole notion of liberal and conservative because it feels like when black folks want something, the same, we can want the same thing as the staunchest Republican for some reason that make it liberal. Like me wanting a good paying job, how is that liberal? Me wanting to vote, how is that liberal? No, that is, I'm human. That's what I want. And so I'm, I really resist those traditional titles of liberal and conservative, because what liberal seems to me is like black folks want something that anybody else don't want. Right. You know, and so I think that fundamentally, even across the board, I don't know if I think there's a generational difference of who want who want to make sure that they got resources for their family. Yep. Right. I, I don't think that there's a generational difference around who wants health care. We literally just did a survey with another project I'm working with of black girls. What was interesting is the second issue that came up over and over again is that these girls between the ages of 11 and 21 were concerned about health care. So my point is, I'm, I'm, sometimes I think these categories 
are framed in response to a particular policy issue, not necessarily a particular value. And so I think that there are these voters, there's pockets of voters. You've got the voters, you've got the super voters that you know go vote no matter what, right? Yep. Well, got- that, that brings me to my next question because you're you, you walking right into it. But then you got those black infrequent voters. You got so, the black infrequent voters. So tell me about, talk to me about those infrequent voters. Who are they and why are they so important to Democrats? And then is the Biden campaign, in your opinion, because you, you have a line of sight directly onto the ground, are they doing a good enough job tapping into black voters, particularly those black and frequent voters? I think the black, thank you for asking that. I think the black and frequent voters, I don't think that's a new phenomenon, actually. I think that that has always it's been. Always a been. And I'm going to be honest, I don't think the party has ever figured out how to move them. I don't think the party has ever moved them to the extent that infrequent voters get moved is usually out of some other external circumstance i.e. other black organizations on the ground <laughs> pushing that, or like I'll say in the case of like Obama, a candidate that was beyond kind of the party scope that actually got black folks excited for whatever reason, yeah. right? I think that that's the, a consistent what the party has gotten on. And I think part of the reason is they confuse infrequent voters as being apathetic. We never say people are apathetic. I ain't met no black people that don't care about their check, don't care about getting paid for their work, don't care about their kids. I'm being honest. Right. It is a matter of I think part of what we're confusing is people don't believe in the process and people don't believe that them engaging in the process is going to make a difference. And the truth of the matter, when we meet folks, the first thing we say when we're on the ground and we're meeting folks and they say, well, you know, I don't want to vote because I don't think it matters. We don't try to evangelize them. The first thing we say is I understand exactly why you feel that way. Exactly. It's called listening. It's called listening. We're not we're not just hearing you, but we're listening to you with our whole self. Right. That's like it's, it's and okay I'm validating listen. that you ain't crazy and I'm affirming. Right. And so what we do is two things. One, we take the time to listen and say, well, let me tell me what it is that you care about. And then we make the connection to what they care about, to why voting is relevant. And then we're honest with them about voting instead of going around telling folks that you don't count if you don't vote. You know how disrespectful that is to tell yep. people. Yep. Tell folks that they don't matter if they don't vote. How yep. dare we? Right. God created you. You got value just on GP. Right. But literally being able to be honest with folks around voting ain't the panacea of all things, but it is a form and a leverage of power. When we have those conversations, I promise you, because nine times out of 10, if they're going to vote because it's not they're voting because they believe in the system. They vote because they believe in themselves. The center point, the focal point can't be about trying to convince folks to believe in a system that we know inherently is prejudiced towards us, right? But the central point is telling folks you have agency. And if anybody's going to make a decision about Latasha Brown, I need to be a part of that decision. And so that at the end of the day, do you want to be right or do you want to win? And so for me, I want to win. And what that means is I'm not leaving no power on the table. And helping people to really see that in that framework is a little bit different. That's the way that we approach our work. And I think when we're talking about infrequent voters, it's the same thing. When we talk to them just about participation, black people need to vote because it's your people die for you. And I'm from Salem. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. They heard that. Yeah, 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 yeah. When we talk about power, it's a different kind of dynamic, right? Because we all want some power. What most folks don't understand or not able to make the connection because they don't see it in their day-to-day life is how is this one thing going to help me have power to impact the things that I care about? And are you going to be honest with me and say that? And so I think for us, I think it's a, it's a combination of engaging in frequent voters in a conversation that's authentic, that literally centers them, not the political candidates or the party, mm-hmm. right? Right. 
and literally be able to make that connection on how that vote in particular, listen to them to figure out what it is that they care about and help them to really make the connection of what the relevance of. Because I don't think most people won't do that. Most people just won't tell us what to do. They don't want to listen and really be able to make that connection. Talk to me about black men now, because I'm going to let you get out of here in a minute and enjoy your day. But, you know, black women are going to vote in record numbers. We already know that. That's a given. But brothers, on the other hand, sometimes can be a tougher nut to crack. Is the playbook for activation different in your experience for black men than black women? I think so. I think in some ways it is. I think in some ways, I think there's some baseline pieces that are very similar. But I think that there are some specific issues. Let's be honest. The way that I think there's a, it's, it's so complicated and nuanced. On one hand, we've got this issue around sexism and how we see power. That in many ways, even within our own community, we have adopted the same belief that power is domination. We have adopted the same belief that power means I need to do whatever I need to do to crush my opponent. That's a particular yep. kind of a perspective, right? Yep. And I think sometimes when you see, as I've been seeing, you know, I've been seeing some brothers saying, well, Trump, you know, well, you know, I think that he'll get, uh, I was in an argument with a brother with that last night. And I'm like, fundamentally, you hadn't thought about anything you said other than what you see is you see this man in power. You see this man who is dominating and basically is a bully. And there's something about that that is attractive to you. Yeah, it's right? our privilege. I mean, sometimes being, although we are black and men, we still have a certain level of male privilege that most black men don't want to acknowledge actually exists, but we bring that privilege and we bring that privilege and you bring that value system. It's a work value system. It's you're looking at white men in power thinking that that's the role way to go. How's that worked out for you, brothers? I'm just saying at the end of the day, we're looking at the model of male leadership in a way that has, that has actually been, has thwarted our own, the growth and development of our own men. And so we're going to have to acknowledge that that kind of leadership, we may see it and it may look, like what, but what has it done for us? So I think that that's one piece. The other piece is I do think that there's a certain level of intentional hopelessness and marginalization of our men in our community. Yep. Let's not, there's some things, I'm real clear. There's some things that I have been able to say in ways I can be in meetings that I know that my brother, this matter of fact, a, a brother that I was dating once, he, he said this to me and I got upset, but then I thought about it and he was right. There are ways that I can show up, that I have some space to show up, that sometimes brothers can't show up in that same way without being seen that they're being aggressive and a different kind of course of action for them. Right. right. There is there's you've got this dynamic on one hand, you've got this sexism that's saying I'm supposed to be dominated on this hand, but then you got this other thing that makes it really complicated on how racism seeks to marginalize and, and castrate our men. And so I, I think we also have to acknowledge that as well. And I think the 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 third thing around it is, and I think this is around leadership. We have, I'm just being honest, I think that there is, and I think this is part of the sexism piece, there is a particular model of leadership that our men have gravitated towards, not all, but have gravitated towards that says you got to be hard, you got to be tough, you got to be, you know, you can't be nurturing. It's called that toxic stuff, that toxic masculinity stuff. That's what it is. That's been harmful for the women in our community, but guess what? It's been harmful to brothers. Yeah. It's been the same thing that got millions of black men locked up in jail right now. Right. And so and we it got makes for unhealthy relationships and doesn't allow us to delve into our mental health issues, et cetera. Et cetera. I, I, I mean, you preaching because that's what we need to hear. And y'all need some friends. Let me tell you something like you like the way that sisters y'all need some friends. Like, you know, the brothers be like, I got it. I got it. Y'all be on we the need some friends. We need like, some friends. Some, get, get you some friends. 
get with your boys, say your stuff that you need to say and work some of that stuff out. Like we yeah. gotta, we've got to work some of this stuff out. Man, look, I, I love you, Latasha. Anything you ask me to do, I want to say thank you for joining us today. How can we support the work you're doing and where can people find you on social media? So they can find me on social media, Miss Latasha Brown, M-S-L-A-T-O-S-H-A Brown, or Black Voters Matter, Black Voters MTR. You can also go on our website, www.blackvotersmatterfund.org, or text us. Text We Matter to 797979. I love it. I love you. Thank you so much for all the work that you have done. You are doing, and more importantly, the work you will do. Thank you, and kiss them beautiful babies for me. I will. They on their way back home. That's why it's so quiet. Thank you so much. 